Hello and welcome to the Lost Boys Podcast. I'm Tandy, joined by Harlan. Say hi, Harlan. Hi, Harlan. Today's episode, we're going to be going over the top paid deck list from the most recent Invitational Qualifier for the TCG Player Lorcana Invitational, hosted by Apex Gaming on October 20th weekend. I'm looking forward to doing coverage of that event, but Harlan's going to be playing in that event. I am, I am. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it. We got to uh, mark down our next competitor in the event this past weekend. And yeah, I'm still not 100% decided on what I should play, as I probably shouldn't be since we're still pretty far out. But uh, I'm just so excited, and we're getting more and more deck lists to look at. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we did have a, a good-sized tournament this past weekend at the Apex Gaming Home Store in Caldwell, Ohio, for our first-ever Invitational Qualifier. We had 27 folks show up. And we have a top eight, which we'll be going over in just a little while. But before we do that, Heartland, we're going to have a new uh, topic or whatever. It's going to be called Ask Harlan Anything. And so we're going to ask Harlan anything. Harlan, what did you learn this week in testing? Um, so it's, I don't know if it's what you would call learning or maybe just having it come up so that you thought about it. But I was playing with a steel deck, and I was short on ink for a turn, and I already had a big tink in play, and I actually shifted another big tink onto my big tink just because I really needed the extra one damage to everything. Okay, okay. And I was short resources to pl- to play it for six. Um, wow, I, I've, I I've, I've never seen that come up that. before. Yeah, but yeah, you can just shift onto the big version of the card with another one. Which, yeah, it came up, and I can't say I plan to be doing that one very often, but uh, it came up, and it mattered, and I won because of it, so. All right, my next my next for. question for Harlan is, uh, what deck impressed you this week? What deck impressed me? Um, I think it was actually Emerald Amethyst. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I, I have never um, been all that enthused by the deck. You know, I'm not... As we talked about last week, I'm not usually the aggro player. You're not a Cusco um, main. I wish I was. I I really like the card Cusco, and you know I'm I'm a big fan of Emperor's New Groove. But uh, yeah, the the Emerald decks just haven't really done it for me recently. But on coverage all weekend, the Emerald Amethyst decks looked really good to me all yeah. weekend. All right, uh, favorite card in the new set. Favorite card in the new set is. Definitely Cinderella, stout-hearted. No, um, the big, the big uh, seven drop from Steel. Yeah, I I have an affinity for the Steel decks. And, Same. Uh, they are going to be hard pressed with Big Cogsworth once he's out, uh, and Cinderella is going to be really important for beating that one. I think. All right, uh, let me think of one more qu- quick fire question to ask Harlan. All right, Harlan, what'd you eat for lunch today? Ooh, I had. What did I have? Oh, I had. I was the only stumper. Ch- yeah, <laughs> I had leftover chicken tenders from the trivia place we go to every week, but I had leftover cane sauce in my fridge already. Well, that's next level maneuver. If I gotta say, yeah, cane sauce is pretty good. I came prepared. Pretty good. All right. Well, that's uh, gonna do it for Ask Carlin anything. Learning about uh, his testing for the week and stuff. Uh, we'll we'll make sure to check back in with him every week and ask him a few more questions. Yeah. Why don't Why don't we have the the viewers submit questions for this segment? Oh yeah. Quick fire, quick fire questions. That'd be fun. 
Yeah, yeah. Make, make sure to ask him in the comments, and I'll try to ask him next week for Harlan, all right? Ask Harlan anything. It's uh, Everyone's talking about it. All right. <laughs> uh, moving on. We're going to uh, do a new thing uh, for this segment as well. Uh, I, I wanted to take some time and talk about every single color, because I know a lot of the colors don't get as much love. Uh, you know, Ruby Amethyst Control is just, like, all over the place. Everyone loves Amber because of how aggressive it is. But some of the colors... Don't really have as as much of a magnifying glass on them. So uh, we're going to be doing a new segment uh, called Hot Tech Cards for each color. And Harlan, we're going to go one by one. You're going to tell me, give me a tech card for each color. Something that you're looking forward to trying out or something you already think is pretty good. Let's start with uh, Amber. Amber. So uh, I think right now the best tech card for Amber is You Have Forgotten Me. Oh, the discard too. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, so it's a card that, you know, a lot of us coming from Magic, you know, kind of wrote off right away of, man, Mind Rot, the the card from Magic, is just not very good. And that it costs three. This costs four. But, you know, four versus three is a lot different in Lorcana. You know, you're guaranteed to hit your lands. Your opponent is guaranteed to hit their ink every turn and build up and that's going to end up being that their hand is going to be tight while they're holding something like Ursula and Elsa and you know if you just catch them just at the right time they're they go from behind to dead yeah. very quickly no i mean the way the game is constructed right every single turn you play a resource and you play a card so you actually get empty handed very quickly and every single game there's always one perfect turn where you got two cards left in hand and they're almost always the two best cards on your curve. It's like your, you know, fifth resource and a payoff and you either need a resource or another payoff for the next few turns to like really hammer home. But that's yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it, it also mitigates a lot of its, you know, normal downside by just being inkable. Right. You you can throw away the extra one once your opponent has no cards because the first one happened, you can just get rid of it or, you know, your opponent like, you need to be playing to the board and not dealing with their hand. You have to deal with their board. You just ink it to keep playing to the board. So it's just, it's been a really good card that impresses me. I think more people should play it in their Amber decks. All right. Hot tech card for steel. Go. It's beast hard headed. Beast hard headed. That one destroys items, right? Yes. Yeah. Big old four, four chonker. Bonk. Uh, eats their magic mirrors, eats their pocket watches, yep. eats their shield of truths. Love it. it. Love it. Yeah. It's ink. For when they don't have those cards in their deck, it just does it all. All right, hot tech card for Ruby. Go, Ruby. I think it's Pongo Old Rascal. Ooh, evasive. Why do you think evasive is good? Yeah, so I think it's really important for the Ruby decks. Um, a, there's like an emerald Ruby deck that you know is just evasive based. Um, Pongo's a like solid role player in that, but I think it's actually more of a tech card in Ruby Amethyst. I think it's really important for Ruby Amethyst to be able to put pressure onto the board in the the quote-unquote mirror match. Um, and Pongo having evasive so it doesn't get attacked by Gaston or Maui is really or important. Or Rafiki. Or Rafiki. Yep, that's a huge deal too. Um, you're actually seeing in a lot of Ruby Amethyst decks right now like kind of a, a level 1, 2, 3 battle of Pongo, Goofy, and Tigger where Tigger gets to eat all of them down the chain. Um, Goofy is, you know, the middle of the road. He's a 3-4, so he's going to live 
Um, he's going to eat their Pongo, but survive and then, you know, get the challenge and quest himself later. And then Pongo is, you know, the lean, mean, down to the down to earth four drop. And I think that's where I want to be. I've definitely come around to in Lorcana in general. I want to be playing those, you know, on a scale of one to ten. I want to be playing cards that are either a one or a ten, not yeah. the sevens, but especially when they're inkable. Right. You know, that way when it's it is a one, it just becomes ink. And then whenever it is good, I have the best possible version of the card versus a card that's middle of the road. And then I'm mostly going to ink it anyway because it's already middle of the road. So I should have a better version when I want that effect. Right. That's that's good. All right. Uh, so Pongo for Ruby. What about Amethyst? The complementary color to the Ruby Amethyst control deck. What's yeah, your so hot Amethyst, take? Uh, so the card I have been highest on for Amethyst in this kind of tech slot I've been putting it in a lot more of my Amethyst decks is actually the Wardrobe, Bell's Confidant. Yeah, the 3-4 for 3, nice. Yeah, just talking about, you know, having that 1 or a 10 and Inkable, the Wardrobe is just stats. And that is what I have found my Amethyst decks needing, is, you know, everybody is prepared for your Rafikis and your Maleficent's. And so either you're like hyper aggressively playing to the board or you're doing almost nothing to the board and just trying to sing um, friends on the other side. And wardrobe just comes down and is large. It's huge at that point in the game. And it so it's great because you get you just get to fire off your friends on the other side with it. Um, you don't even have to worry about their Rafiki because it wardrobe is just going to eat it. It just dominates the board. All the Amethyst decks are trying to go late, so having something in that early to mid game that can just lock up the board for you is huge. No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, stats uh, and when you're just constantly challenging and you know preparing to be challenged, uh, having something that's just too large to be challenged by one character, I think is important. And Wardrobe does that, and I, I think with friends on the other side, any three drop just has to be viable as long as it's inkable. Yeah, exactly. All right. uh, Now we're going to get into two of the colors that I don't think see enough love. Uh, Let's start with Emerald. What's your hot tech card for Emerald right now? Yeah, so uh, I would have to say, again, I don't really play that many Emerald decks, but the card that impresses me the most when it gets played in Emerald decks is Mother Gothel's Selfish Manipulator. Oh, that one's scary to play against. Yeah, so a lot of the times against Emerald, because... Basically, they have the early drops like um, Flynn Rider and Hans that are like hyper aggressive. Okay, I have to get this off the board. Sometimes, you know, I'm I'm losing a card to the Flynn. You know, I'm giving up game equity to stay alive early. And then they build into, you know, their Tinkerbells and their Genies, which have evasive. So then it kind of pivots to, okay, I can't challenge their characters my characters just have to quest and i have to race them as best as i can and that's where mother gothel comes down she quests once and then all of your stuff is off and you have to exchange all your stuff into that mother gothel to turn back into racing and by then it's it's too late everyone's yeah. running away with it no i mean you know basically she says you can't uh quest until she's gone right so like 
she basically just says your stuff's attacking this turn and it's all attacking Mother Gothel and then we'll see what happens after that. And she's got a pretty high willpower so she can withstand usually two hits, sometimes three, and uh, keep trucking. But it's a very nice little tech card for the Emerald decks. Last but not least, maybe the least played color in competitive Volcana so far. What's your hot tech card? And maybe what gets Sapphire off the ground yeah so this one's tough um i also don't even really love the card i chose for this um the card i chose is bell dreaming uh guardian or sorry it's aurora dreaming guardian i don't know why i have bell written down um but yeah so it's the the shift aurora that gives your other things um ward ward yeah ward is the name of the mechanic um so it's really important, especially against like Ruby Amethyst, to protect your other stuff because this is kind of what's holding Sapphire back. But the Sapphire game plan is kind of, you know, accelerate your inkwell and then just play characters out. And right. when they just get to pick off your best one, you get left with scraps a lot of the time. And that's where Aurora comes in, where Aurora is just a solid body, five cost. Uh, three strength, five willpower, quest for two, but it protects your more impactful characters um, from, you know, the dragon's fire and things like that. Um, definitely uh, not the the strongest thing to be doing in Sapphire. I really hope um, somebody figures that out. That'd be sweet. Especially, you know, nobody is going to really be super prepared for a sweet Sapphire deck, especially for the Invitational, I don't think. No, I think that that Aurora giving Ward to maybe something of a different color could be really nice, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. plenty of things that you want to protect that are in different colors. I think Sapphire being the primary ramp color actually is kind of weak on the top end. And so you can pair it with Ruby to get, you know, Maleficent Monstrous Dragon and the Aladdin package with the Heroic Outlaw on the top end. Um, or you can go a different direction and have, like, you know, a lot of card draw with friends on the other side or big wheel effects from uh, a whole new world out of steel. And whichever way you go, really, is completely up to you. And really, you're just trying to leverage, uh, you know, that ramp effect that you get in Sapphire. And uh, the ward protection is like another thing that you can offer to a different color because your minions are just relatively weak, weak in Sapphire, basically to make it so you can't be a one-trick pony, have ramp into big payoff. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, cool. Hot tech cards for each color. Dunzo Washington. So we're going to be moving on now. We're going to be talking about uh, the metagame and each of the top eight deck lists from the most recent Invitational Qualifier that we held at Apex Gaming. The Invitational is sponsored by TCG Player and will be on October 20th weekend. We'll be streaming it on twitch.tv slash Apex Gaming. Uh, we'll also be streaming it on YouTube. Not sure exactly what the address is. We'll get to at uh, some point in the near future. Uh, but these A decks that we have from this Invitational Qualifier, we had at 27 players and we boiled it down to a winner, Nicholas Rausch. On Amber Steel, we'll get to his deck list last, but congrats to him for qualifying for the Invitational. And you're going to be playing against him uh, come October 20th weekend. Yeah, uh, hopefully for me, he just doesn't switch decks and I have some known quantity, but uh, we'll, we'll see what he ends up bringing to the Invitational. 
All right, so the first deck that uh, I do want to bring up, we're going to go eighth to first. Uh, let's start off with uh, Zarek Wiley's Ruby Amethyst deck. Let's talk about the some of the things we like and dis dislike. He had two copies of Mickey Mouse Brave Little Taylor. I think that this is one of the more controversial adds to the uh, Ruby Amethyst control archetype. It's a, a, a late game finisher card, but it doesn't really do anything when it uh, comes into play. Uh, most of your other characters that you play, the, the spells that you play, have an immediate impact on the game, whereas Brave Little Taylor needs to have a full, you know, ready cycle to be able to quest for four or to start challenging things. You know, Ruby, not really known for waiting around, you know, has Maui, has Maleficent, has uh, Aladdin Heroic Outlaws shift onto Baby Aladdin to really turn the game in these really impactful, immediate ways. And I just feel like Brave Little Taylor is just not really fitting into that game plan. Yeah, so Brave Little Taylor kind of suffers from just being an eight-cost card. Like, that is just a huge cost to not be impacting the board immediately. Right. Um, it does impact the board in a big way in that it's a giant evasive threat. Yeah. But not doing it immediately very much holds it back for me. Um, I find when I when I do play with the card, I find myself inking it very often. Um, where, you know, earlier I was talking about Pongo Old Rascal, and that's where I want my evasive cards to be, is in that, you know, it's a one or a ten, which I guess Mickey kind of fits into that role, but just Pongo in these Ruby decks, you know, you can, when you have eight, you know, a lot of times you could maybe wait a turn until you have nine and then you can play Pongo and a Dragonfire. And then it's kind of like you built a Maleficent, you know? Um, and it's not quite the same thing, but being able to play two cards while you're trying to be aggressive to the board and shift the game, being able to play something else with it is huge for me. Um, and you really don't need to be questing for four. You don't need to like turn on an absolute dime like that. Um, you just need to be able to gradually shift. And especially with an evasive threat, you're going to be able to snowball with that threat anyway, is the plan. So it, it really doesn't need to be questing for four. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really like uh, the Mickey Brave Little Tailors. I was also not a big fan of the Ursula's Cauldron. I know that's one that a lot of people love, including one of your fellow competitors, Kyle Huck, owner of Apex Gaming, along with his brother, Taren Huck. He plays a lot with uh, Amethyst, and he loves Ursula's Cauldron. Yeah, I am, I would say, extremely low on the card. Um, I think... I would play a copy after my third Magic Mirror if I was going to play a third Magic Mirror. Okay. Um, I think that there are way too many good cards in Amethyst that are uninkable for Ursula's Cauldron to see play for me. Um, I know there are a lot of people that play, you know, two, three copies even. Um, and you're just going to run into way too many issues of finding ink to go into your inkwell when you have cards like that in your deck. And, you know, there's a little bit of an argument of, well, the cauldron finds you your ink and then fixes your draws for the mid to late game after that. But I'd rather just have all the ink in my deck and then, you know, I can just make those decisions in my hand. I don't need to be, you know, taking turn two off and falling further behind potentially in these games where I'm already the deck on the back foot naturally and playing for a longer game. No, I completely agree. Uh, I think that 
Cauldron is a bit of a trap. Like, it feels good when you're playing it, but the cost of actually playing it means not playing anything on two, not using it as ink, and often as ink, it would help you the turn following or even the turn after that to smooth your draw out. And um, it has no direct impact on the board, so drawing one late game, pretty weak. Drawing a second one ever, hor- horrible, if you ask me. So. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a funny card, just that from the Cauldron person, player's perspective, they get to see all the info, and they're like, man, this card's great. My opponent has no idea how great it is. Yeah. And then from the opponent's side, they're like, wow, you just took your turn off to play that and then you waste my time looking at the top two cards every time yeah, you done yet? you're just losing the whole my game turn? my go <laughs> that card doesn't do anything <laughs> and yeah it's just it's somewhere in the middle but it, it's I somewhere think it's in the middle closer it's closer to bad than good i think it's really close to good i i think that there's a reason why people really enjoy playing it it's because it feels like you're doing something powerful there's very few cards in the game that manipulate the top of the deck like ursula's cauldron does and while it doesn't replace itself you know Hey, I really need this to be prepared on seven. Well, you're probably going to find it, you know, like that, that, and that feeling is like a, a parachute almost. And it's something that like you can kind of plan towards when you have it in your opening hand. You're like, Oh, I have this on two. I'll very likely be able to play a be prepared on seven if that's my goal. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people like the card. But I'll say again, I don't think it's that great. And I think a second copy is really bad. And our next person playing uh in the event was seventh place levi love who is playing two copies of ursula's cauldron you can't you just can't do it drawing two copies is, is horrible yeah i i'm really low on it like i said um yeah i it doesn't do it for me i do get that people really like it yeah um i the thing that really doesn't do it for me is it is not terribly relevant in the like quote unquote mirror where you would think that type of effect would be at its best. Yeah. Because you're going to see like the games just go on forever. So you get to filter as many cards as possible. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get super deep into the nuance of the Ruby amethyst. Yeah. Control mirror. <laughs> Most of the games end up decking, which is, its own horrible problem that I really don't know how to fix or have the time or energy to fix. Uh, what I will say, though, is the seventh place Le- Levi Loves deck is playing three copies of LeFou Instigator, the one that can ready one of your characters. What do you think about that? Yeah, so that's a really interesting um, inclusion. I think it is probably very strong in the, the mirror matches where, you know, you're Elsaing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, an unexpected... You know, untap it or already is very strong. Um, it's also good against bodyguards when you're, you know, trying to get your Rafiki in early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely an interesting card. I haven't played it much in my, you know, bigger builds of Ruby Amethyst, but it is again one of those inkable ones or a ten. Um, I think it's going to be a one a lot of the time, but when it's a ten, you know, this card's almost an eleven sometimes. <laughs> Uh, now, another uh, strange inclusion in this deck. We have three copies of Magic Broom Bucket Brigade, but no copies of the Mickey Mouse that lets them come back to your hand, uh, choosing instead to just have the three Magic Brooms to try to survive for a last few, the last few turns, you know, as you uh, whittle away the, the last remnants of your hand. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, choosing 
you know, identifying that the games definitely come down to decking. So they're trying to kind of just loop their brooms, I guess, is their idea. Yeah. And put back um, some of their better cards as the games go really long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just get some extra threats in there. Yeah. Uh, sixth place also playing Ruby Amethyst we're going to be talking about Franklin Folks's build Franklin Folks actually plays a lot on the uh, magic series that Apex Gaming runs and uh, is highly decorated on that series so I would watch out for, for this version of the deck and his decks in general uh, this build is playing four copies of Magic Broom and uh, four copies of Mickey Mouse Wayward Sorcerer trying to win the mirror by just having Broom Supremacy perhaps yeah, so um, that it, I assume that's their plan. Um, it is uh, interesting to me how low of a count everybody has had on White Rabbit's Pocket Watch. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, so the broom package really shines based on how many Pocket Watches you're playing. Sure. Um, and, you know, especially only having one, it's some amount of the time you're going to have to ink it on a pivotal turn and then you lose access to it completely. Um, so I would definitely at least have two. Uh, most of my builds, I play three, you know, just so I can. Wow. I mean, yeah. yeah, that way you can burn one early and still have one late to guarantee. That makes sense. Yep, absolutely. All right. Franklin Folks's list also playing four copies of a Gaston Arrogant Hunter. The two drop allows you to challenge all sorts of larger characters on the opponent's side, including Simba Bodyguard, as well as all the way up to Cusco, which helps out against those Emerald decks. And we actually had a couple Emerald decks in this top eight. Not used to seeing Emerald too much around. One last person, though, uh, top eighted with Ruby Amethyst. And we're going to jump a little bit just to kind of group these together. But in second place, we had Matthew Campo's version of Ruby Amethyst. Is there anything in Matthew Campo's uh, list that stands out to you? Like, oh, maybe this is why Matthew was able to get second as opposed to uh, you know, the other players who were eight, seven, six, like bottom of the line. Definitely the four copies of Ursula Power Hungry. Yeah, that good, huh? Yeah. So, well, I, 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 I don't know if I would necessarily say that. I've been pretty low on it in specifically Ruby Amethyst. I've found a lot more success just, you know, loading up on my inkable threats. Um, sure. Just because between Dragonfire and Be Prepared, you end up really glutted on uninkables in Ruby Amethyst. Um, but I definitely think that played a part in his success, especially if he was playing a lot of mirrors. Um, well, I do want to note that there are uh, no copies of the Mickey Mouse uh, Wayward Sorceress in this to go along with the brooms, and so perhaps a slightly less you know ready for the mirror match than one of the other players, but was able to interact with you know the Emerald uh, Amethyst Agrodex that we're going to be talking about in just a second. Yeah, so I, I do think Ursula is huge for the aggressive decks. Being able to, you know, just tick down their clock just a little bit. And like what I was talking about before, where, you know, especially against, like, the Emerald builds, you just have to commit to racing at a certain point. Ursula is incredible at that. Right. Um, Ur Ursula just sets their lore back down and then just quests for three and is nearly unkillable with eight willpower. It's so hard to get an Ursula off the table. 
All right. Uh, the next deck we're going to be moving on to is fifth place, Devin Harrison. And Devin is playing Emerald Amethyst Aggro. This is a very lore-heavy generator deck where um, many of the characters do quests for three, and it tries to essentially race those really low-to-the-ground aggro decks while also having things that can be very uh, problematic for the uh, the control decks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see. Let's see what's in here. Um, so one card that uh, I think has been popping up uh, in a good bit of these decks that I, I'm actually not 100% sold on. I'm curious your thoughts about Hans Scheming Prince. This four cost three three from Emerald is inkable. It quests for three, no special abilities, but a four cost character that can quest for three is quite hefty. Yeah, so I think Hans is an incredible card on rate. Um, having three lore on a four drop is huge. Um, I think they definitely balance the card properly with it being a three, three. So, you know, it's going to trade in combat usually at that point in the game, but it's also going to be pretty easy to get off the table. I do think that more people should be inking this card in a lot of games than they are currently. Sure. Um, but it is a powerhouse of a threat early in the game for sure. Uh, so this, um, you know, Amethyst Emerald deck, it has two different three cost songs in it that I think are both quite good. Uh, Mother Knows Best. This one's not inkable. This is three cost uh, return a character to their player's hand. And then also, you know, the classic friends on the other side from Amethyst that's been all over the place. Uh, this is maybe the perfect spot to talk about adding the wardrobe to your deck. You know, we talked about how wardrobe was one of your tech cards for the week, being able to sing either of those songs in a deck like this while having reasonable stats for challenging and defending against your opponent's stuff, I think could maybe be a nice addition. Yeah, I think that would be a great include here. Um, one of the things I've always noticed about this archetype in general is that the three drops aren't actually very good at singing. You know, Maleficent obviously is a fine singer in that you already got the card back from it. So whenever they eat it, it's not a big deal whenever they can eat it with a Rafiki or something like that. Mm. But Cheshire Cat is not a very good singer. No, no, it's not. Yeah, like that card has one job, which is produce two lore <laughs> and cross your fingers that you get to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And then and even even when your opponent finally deals with it, it does trade, which is nice. Yeah, another another card that could do um they do have four Jasper here actually. Um Jasper's really good for singing these songs and surviving to tell the tale again. Yeah. Um and Jasper also is another card that, you know, kind of does that Mother Gothel impression um just for one character. And you know, I I've had mixed feelings on Jasper. Um I do think that, you know, the third strength from a wardrobe might actually be better. Um than his ability some amount of the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd maybe, you know, entertain the idea of a split or maybe even trimming a Cheshire Cat. Uh, another neat little combo in the deck that I want to point out is the one-cost Olaf Friendly Snowman. This 1-3 is inkable in a quest for one, uh, but that combined with Megara pulling the strings, the two-cost Emerald aggressive character that's a 2-1 inkable quest for one says, Wonder Boy, when, the, when you play this uh, character, chosen character gets plus two strength this turn. So you're kind of combining this one-drop with Megara pulling the strings to allow it to challenge a, a you know, something with three willpower, specifically 
Simba Bodyguard, which has been tearing up the scene in the Amber Aggro decks. I love this combination being put in these decks. It It's just such a nice, easy-to-do thing where, you know, Megara is not a card that you would normally play because, you know, it, it has a low willpower and it has a low lore count. Mm. So it's not necessarily that great in this these aggro decks, but it adds just such a high upside when you already want to be playing a card like Olaf to have counterplay when you play an aggro mirror match and just eat their character almost for free while developing your board. It's It's like... It's incredible when, you know, you pop off that combo, especially when you eat like a Simba and then you have a two one and a one three with two damage on it still in play and you're ready to go on curve. Yeah, the uh, other player in the top eight playing the Emerald Amethyst aggro deck is Randall Webbing. I'm going to check out his list. Very similar lists. Uh, the numbers are a little bit different, but um, actually, Randall Webbing's list has your Emerald Tech card of the week, Mother Gothel, Selfish Manipulator. Maybe that was the difference between top eight and top four. Yeah, definitely uh, a strong potential, especially in you know the the mirrors. Mother Gothel is huge in those questing focus games. Yeah, because um, you're just racing. Thing, yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I see that Randall did was Randall only has one Olaf and has three Duke of Wesselton. Right. Um, so it definitely has leaned more into the goons plan versus the, the one threes. And I think I, I can't speak for Randall, but in my mind, that tells me that Randall was actually expecting a good amount of steel. Um, so, uh, uh, like I've talked about previously that the, the one threes are when there's like a goon metagame. The one threes are better because they get to quest twice into a goon. Right. If your opponent is playing steel and is going to have a captain hook. <laughs> yeah. Hook that's where the dynamic chips right yeah. back. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I maybe Randa was, you know, thinking that might be the case for this event. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the Emerald Amethyst deck definitely can be built in a couple of different ways. I mean, these are pretty huge emphasis on Cusco and Mad Hatter to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of lore generation. But a lot of the early two drops can generate a bunch of lore as well. Flynn Rider, you know, punishes your opponent for attacking it by making them discard, but it quests for two. And so, you know, you just have these sort of weaker on the board stats, Hans, things like that. And but when your opponent takes their time to challenge them, you're the one questing. You're the one pushing towards ending the game and hitting that lore threshold of 20 while your opponent is just like scrapping to find answers to some things like Cusco, which don't even really have a, a real answer because it has ward. So uh, moving on, we're going to be checking out uh, not only the winners list, uh, but fourth place list. Both of these players were playing Amber Steel Aggro. Let's start with the fourth places. Uh, John Mann's list. Uh, so this uh, is a uh, Amber Steel Aggro deck built around Aerial Spectacular Singer. It has uh, a bunch of kind of like mid rangey cards in it. Very not not quite the like Stitch Blitz deck that I've been playing a ton of. Goes a bit bigger with uh, Stitch Carefree Surfer, Beast Hard Headed, and one of your tech cards of the week. You have forgotten me. Yeah, so this is actually um, what I would consider the actual Amber Steel mid-range deck. Right. And it, it can definitely be a little confusing to identify the two, just because obviously they're the same two colors and we have one set in the game, so they're going to yeah. share 
a ton of cards. Like 40 cards, I think. Yeah, exactly. So the, the clear identifiers to me are typically the Hakuna Matatas and the uh, Stitch Carefree Surfers. Right. Um, so what those tell me is that they're, um, because they don't play a whole new world, they're trying to have their aerials find anything that can be inked so that they can just keep, you know, effectively get a draw card off of the aerial right. just to find their ink for the following turn. And then this deck is just playing to the board and just play, trying to make raw stats. And that you see that from the, the Cerberus three-headed dog here too. This deck just wants to put characters into play, exchange resources with your opponent as many times as you can, and then stitch Carefree Surfer and Rapunzel and just bury your opponent in cards. Yeah, Rapunzel is the the magic wand, right? Like, Rapunzel is a $50 card for a reason. It's probably the top in the top five cards of the game, if not the best card in the game. And, you know, the way that it changes how your opponent plays against you, let alone, like, how people have to plan against you, even in deck building, to make sure that they don't just run headfirst into a deck playing you know, four copies of Rapunzel. She makes things like grab your sword look kind of embarrassing, uh, posing Tinkerbell giant fairies. Oftentimes, if they can't finish off a character, Rapunzel comes down and draws three cards, and, and suddenly you're losing. And the game is over at that point, usually. Yeah, a lot of times it is. Three cards is a heck of a lot, especially when things double as a resource or, you know, something that can impact the actual game. So uh, I, I I love anything Amber Steel. This deck is a bit more mid-rangey than, than what I like, but everything in it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, things with high willpower like Cerberus Three-Headed Dog and Moana of, of uh, Mutani uh, working with Rapunzel because they have high willpower is, is pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a deck I play a lot um, on Pixelborn Ladder. Um, I love the deck. It's so much fun to play. As soon as you st you play your first uh, Stitch Carefree Surfer, you just start going off. You always find a second one, and then, you know, inevitably they, they trade their whole board for your 4-8, and then you get to Hades it back to your hand, and then you're already primed to draw two more cards off of that one. It's so much fun. Um, and also, you know, it this deck is still very good against aggro decks because you have all the steel cards. You have right, Captain right. Hook and Prince Eric to be characters that are great when you're on the draw. You have Smash, you have Grab Your Sword, you have Tinkerbell. So, like, this deck has all of this card advantage and a strong anti-aggro plan. Yeah, plus, not to mention, uh, Rapunzel actually works really well when you're being defensive in your uh, challenger cards as well, but especially ones that have high willpower, like Prince Eric that has three willpower. Um, you're playing against those aggro decks. They have a heavy incentive to quest early, even at the cost of losing their characters in an, uh, you know, an uneven exchange. And those uneven exchanges leave windows for Rapunzel to come down and really hammer home the advantage you're already gaining on top of trading uh, positively with your opponent's stuff. Yeah. Something I've noticed happening as I get higher in ladder is, you know, I start playing against better and better players. And once you, they notice that you are Steel and Amber and you have a Prince Eric, they'll stop questing with their cheap characters. Right. So that to turn off your Rapunzel draw, whether you have the Rapunzel or not, because they don't know. And that actually, so they start holding their characters back so that you don't get to, you know, just blow them out with the Rapunzel play. And then that just walks them right into your grab your swords 
where they haven't gained that lore off all those characters and those characters just all go to the bin. Riding on the vine. Massive. Yeah, exactly. You just squeeze them from both sides. All right. Lastly, we're going to talk about Nicholas Rausch's Amber Steel. I'm calling this one Stitch Blitz. This is a an aggro deck built around uh, Stitch New Dog and the big shift version Stitch Rockstar. That combined with a bunch of one and two cost characters allows you to flood the table with those cheap characters and have refreshes every time you play one. Combined with a tight little package of Aerial Spectacular Singer and A Whole New World, you have a really powerful payoff for playing an early creature rush strategy that a lot of decks are not prepared to beat. And Nicholas Rausch used that masterfully to take down the whole tournament first place in an invite to the Invitational on October 20th. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the decks that you can come in with a plan. You can have your deck built to play against this. And you know what Mike Tyson used to say? You can have the best plan until somebody punches you in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) This This deck is fast, it is strong, and it has one of the most powerful cards in the game in it, which is a whole new world. Right. This is a card that... Go ahead. Whole new world, you know, people, when it was first uh, previewed, were trying to build it around ramp strategies and Sapphire, basically using Fishbone Quill, empty your hand as fast as possible, refresh, draw seven. In theory, that makes a lot of sense because you're playing against other players who are trying to do the same thing, playing ramp effects or just like playing big card draw things like uh, friends on the other side. And so in initial testing, when you're not playing against a bunch of aggressive decks, you're thinking, oh, this is a powerful, very good strategy. But the moment your opponent plays a one drop and a two drop into a three drop, or God forbid, one drop, two drop, three one drops, or just like three or four characters in the first three or four turns, suddenly a five cost draw seven for both players does not seem very appealing. And the way that we have decided to use this card um, positively speaking, is we're trying to empty our hand instead of with ink. We're trying to empty our hand instead with characters that cost one and two. These things that can quest and that can be used with Stitch Rockstar later on. And we're abusing it with Aerial Spectacular Singer, not necessarily finding it off the Aerial's dig ability, but just by singing it on the fourth turn after you're able to empty your hand because you've constructed your deck in such a way where you're able to do exactly that. Yeah, exactly. So the way to make take advantage of this card is you have to be, you know, generating extra resources to then take advantage of both players discarding their hands and drawing seven. And it's a lot easier to just play a bunch of cheap characters than it right. is to get extra ink. Exactly. That's, one one needs fish thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One is, you know, jumping through a lot of hoops to do a thing, and the other one's just playing the game. <laughs> right. I mean, look, yeah, char- characters quest to 20 and ink doesn't, so... Yeah, that's that's true, too. You know, uh, what's the old statement? Aggro doesn't have a fail rate. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so this deck is, a, you know, a classic aggressive deck from Amber that we've seen a lot of over the past uh, few weeks. Lilo making a wish that powerful one cost character, the quest for two, were protecting it with bodyguards like Simple Protective Cub. It doesn't look like we have any other bodyguards in the deck, but personally, I'm a big fan of the the new prince that uh, has uh, resist two, I believe, and a quest for two. I'm looking forward to trying that out in a deck like this as an extra bodyguard. Yeah, that card looked great in our our games last week. 
there was actually even a point where I was like, well, you know, I can't get through this bodyguard, but at least bodyguards only quest for one. And then I like as I was thinking to say that, I was like, that one quests for two. This is messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, too. Um, yeah, so uh, the thing that really sticks out to me in this build is Rapunzel Gifted with Healing. Uh, this is not an ideal Rapunzel Gifted with Healing deck because that r- usually warrants playing things with a lot of high willpower, and this deck does not have a lot of characters with a high willpower. Instead, an emphasis on those cheaper characters in order to enable Stitch Rockstar. But Rapunzel is so strong, especially if you just play some things that you can target. Specifically in this instance, we're playing, you know, things with three toughness like Prince Eric, Simba Protective Cub, Ariel Spectacular Singer. But we also have the Tinkerbell package of the Tiny Tactician and the Giant Fairy. And those get into combat quite often and aggressively and are prime candidates for Rapunzel's Gifted with Healing. Yeah, and this all goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Ones and tens. You know, yeah. as long as it's inkable, it can be a one or a ten. You can just ink it. It'll be fine. You know, I, I'm you, I've been a big Hades fan. Anywhere. Hades Hades is in that slot for me right now, but the more I watch Rapunzel just dunk on people, the more I want to play it. So Yeah, I mean it's especially for something like the Invitational, there's a lot of infor- like a lot of equity to be gained just from having two Rapunzel's in your deck just because then your opponent has to play around them. If you have zero, I can do whatever I want with my characters and I never have to think about it. Right. But if you have two Rapunzel's, then it's like, oh my God, I can't quest with my Maleficent because they could just put two damage on their thing and draw two cards. And then I'm, I'm hugely behind all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, that's just always the threat of Rapunzel, even if it's not in your hand. You have to play in such a way so that it doesn't bury you. So it just kind of warps the game in a really positive way for those who have access to it. So a uh, big shout out to Nicholas Rausch and congrats again for qualifying for the TCG player, Lorcana Invitational hosted by Apex Gaming. We're going to be having that October 20th weekend at the home store of Apex Gaming, Caldwell, Ohio, and we're going to be streaming it on twitch.tv slash Apex Gaming. That brings us to our next segment, Card of the Week. All right, Harlan, what's your card of the week? Well, I've, I've talked about it probably more than any other card on the show this week, but it's the wardrobe. Oh, yeah. Confidant. Yeah. What, what do you like yeah. so much about the wardrobe? So I have just so many games lately. Everybody is playing all the come into play effects and great questers. And that is all well and good. Those cards are all great. But, you know, what keeps happening is... I just noticed that, you know, I just I want something a little bit bigger or something with a little more staying power. And I also, you know, I found that I have a pretty good anti-aggro package lined up, but I need to just supplement it just a little bit. And that's where this three cost three four just it just does it all. It sings my friends on the other side perfectly. God forbid I've been playing, you know, an Amethyst Amber deck a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what a three four is primed to do? Rapunzel for three cards. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Ooh. Yeah, that that one felt real good when I've done that. Um, yeah, it just something that comes up all the time is that these all these characters have these stats, and that of essentially boils down to cards. 
in the way of damage later in the game. You know, like you get to the late game where you're playing a big Elsa and it's a four six, but it's still going to trade with two smaller characters and, you know, some miscellaneous random amount of damage from something else. Right. And that essentially boils down to a two for one. But I spent eight resources and you spent like five. You know, it all comes together into tempo. And that's where like just great large stats on rate is huge. You don't want to do only that. You do have to have a mix of all of it, though, I found. Yeah, I think having some characters do the heavy lifting in terms of their speciality is the thing that breaks the game open. But you need characters that just have good rates so that you can elongate the game enough to get to the point where those later game characters actually have a viable impact and you have enough time to get them off. And cards like the wardrobe perfectly facilitate that on a number of metrics. All right. Exactly. My card of the week is something I used to kick your butt last week, and that's Zero to Hero, baby. Oh, why'd you have to remind me? Because that card's sweet. Uh, that for, card is sweet. For, so uh, Zero to Hero is a, a two-cost uh, amber uh, song. It's not inkable. That's a huge strike against it. But it says uh, the next character that you play this turn costs uh, one ink less for each character you have in play. So it's kind of like a ritual effect based on the number of characters that you have in play. But it can be used like a song, and there are some really strong Amber two-cost cards that can sing it, namely Simba, the bodyguard, and I think that that combined with being the most aggressively slanted color already makes it an X factor that the deck just did not have before. And I talked a little bit about this card on Twitter last week with Brendan DeCandio and a couple other people. I was really excited about it. And they're like, just replace it with any four Amber or steel cards. And I think that your deck's going to be a lot better. And I said, get some imagination, buddy. This is a card that needs a home and it needs someone to really stretch it and to really take it for a spin. And that's what I did. And it looks great. You know, we did a, a turn three. I think we got to shift the stitch rock star onto a baby stitch. That's ridiculous. That's, that's overkill. Yeah, it it is. It's funny. It's, I think this is going to be my new life motto for Lorcana of just the one in 10 thing. But unfortunately, this card isn't inkable, so it actually has to be the one in your hand some amount of the time. Yeah. And I think it might be worth it. The card is so good. Look, as like, long as you're... 10, as long it's going to be a 10 a lot. It is, and as long as you're playing a build of the deck that's constantly churning and has cards in hand, stuff to do with it, you know, I think that it requires playing cards like... Uh, Rapunzel, oh no, but like Hades, a uh, whole new world, you know, these uh, Stitch Rockstar, just all these cards that kind of coalesce around each other, but just always leave your hand full. And when you, when your hand's always full, that just means Zero to Hero is always going to be doing something. And when you're playing a huge burst of resources like a whole new world and Stitch Rockstar, Oftentimes, the glut, the thing that keeps you from going anymore is you run out of ink. And this is just a song that can kind of function like four to six ink with regularity and without actually much trouble in, in, in the curve. Yeah. While I was listening to you, I just it clicked for me. This might be the thing that makes Amber Amethyst work. 
What are you trying yeah, to do with it with Amethyst? I'm curious now. Well, so j- just you talking about, you know, having the card flow to go with it. Ameth- Amber Amethyst is, I would say, probably the best deck at drawing cards because it has both the colors that are really good at drawing cards mm-hmm. outside of, you know, steel with a whole new world. But you just have a consistent flow versus a whole new world, which is like big bursts of cards. And the thing that holds Amber Amethyst back is that you don't have any way to deal with characters outside of challenges. So once you fall behind, it's really, really hard to catch up. But if your deck has some nitrous in it <laughs> and you can just <laughs> turbo out to the moon, exactly. That's a way to not fall behind. Listen, if or all I, jump from behind. if all I do is I go one drop into Simba into three drop, sing zero to hero, play another three drop. That's good enough to me. That that's just like a fr- you know it's burning tree emissary. It's it's yeah. free resources in a deck that the only time you run out of stuff to do is when you run out of ink. And well, now think about that the two three drops are just maleficent. They both drew a card. Right. Exactly. We're going off, baby. Yeah, and that and sometimes it's even worse than that. Sometimes it's like two Rafikis, and then you chew up your opponent's Ooh. side of the table, right? So like, I, I just think Zero to Hero is potentially just re- a really strong card in any deck that's constantly flush with resources, and it looks bad on paper because it's not inkable, and it requires you to play a flood of characters in order to get full value. But I... And well versed in that field already, thanks to my love for Stitch Rockstar and a whole new world and combining those two into Stitch Blitz. And I'm really just looking forward to seeing if we can find some cool homes for my card of the week, Zero to Hero. That's basically all I got for this week, Harlan. You know, it it was a a fun weekend where we were doing commentary at the uh, Apex store in Ohio. I actually had uh, my boy Mason Clark, one of your fellow competitors, doing commentary with me in the booth. Uh, Do you know him very well? Yeah, Mason's actually a very good friend of mine, very close with Mason. Uh, I'm actually working with Mason for this event, staying with him for the event. Um, yeah, I was really sad to, you know, have prior commitments, so I couldn't do commentary, but it was, it was fun to be able to watch, you know, and, uh, hopefully I'll be able to do some commentary in the future. All right. Well, we do have another one of those invitational qualifiers coming up uh, on October 14th. Uh, That's a week from Saturday. So make sure to check out uh, apexgaming.gg for more information on that event. We'll be crowning a champion which will qualify for the TCG Player $5,000 Lorcana Invitational on October 20th weekend. On that Friday, October 20th, we're also going to be having two last chance qualifiers. And the winner of those will be joining the Invitational with us on Saturday. And that's going to be a two-day event with huge, weird brackets that we'll explain when the broadcast begins. And uh, these players are basically going to be fighting it out for $5,000 in cash. So make sure to check out apexgaming.gg for more information on how to sign up for the event. Uh, Follow the Lost Boys on Twitter. That's Lost Boys L-O-R. 
Uh, follow us on YouTube uh, if you're following this on a different podcast service, uh, Lost Boys LOR. Big shout out to our sponsor, Games and Comics Paradise out of Fairfax, Virginia. They're your one-stop shop for all things TCG related from Pokemon to Yu-Gi-Oh! All the way to Magic Gathering and Disney's Lorcana. Make sure to check out GCParadise.com for all of your TCG needs. That's GCParadise.com. Harlan, that's the end of the show. You got anything for me? Yeah, actually, uh, our sponsor, GC Paradise in Fairfax, Virginia, actually has a Lorcana event coming up this month, October yeah. 29th. It's a Sunday in Fairfax. I'm going to be there. So if you want to battle me, come on out. Heck yeah, that's gonna, that sounds like a fun time. Uh, I'll be in uh, Apex, uh, Ohio doing commentary over a magic event. But uh, Ooh, if you're magic. if you're if you're in the Fairfax, Virginia area, make sure to head on to uh, gcparadise.com for more information on their event on the October uh, 28th weekend. Uh, that's gonna do it for me. Thanks for uh, watching and listening to the Lost Boys podcast. I'm Tandy, joined by Harlan Fear. We'll see you next time.